Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Craig Forsyth. Hi, Craig. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Craig Forsyth. I was born in 1970, so you can do the math on how old I am when you listen to this. Uh, And I'm from York in North Yorkshire. I've done three rows so far, two of them within the Mediterranean. The first one was from Barcelona to Bosa in Sardinia. Um, It was a distance of 300 miles, but on the second day it got wiped out by a storm coming through into the Mediterranean. And we got uh, collected up by the um, support vessel on that one. Uh, We eventually made it across to Sardinia, which took about three days on the support vessel, which was probably the same sort of time it would have taken us to row it. And then I did a second row, which was from Sardinia to Menorca, which was about 200 miles. Uh, and that was in a team of five. These bo- were both in 2015. My third row was part of the Talisca Atlantic row from Lagomera to Antigua in 2020. Uh, I did that one solo. It was a 3,000 miles journey. And it took me 73 days, seven hours, two minutes, apparently. We like to start with the big one. Why did you want to row across an ocean? I think I wanted to row an ocean on the back of sailing the ocean. Um, I felt quite comfortable um, when I was sailing in around the world race with Clipper. And after that, I planned to go back and I was planning to go back in 2016 after doing the 13-14 round the world race. In between that time, I got contacted by somebody who wanted to set up a similar sort of rowing version of the Clipper race uh, in the Mediterranean, just going from port to port and racing around. And he got some boats organized uh, and he needed some like test pilots, guinea pigs, cannon fodder, whatever you want to refer to us as, to um, test it all out and see how it went. So we did that. On the back of that, I got a taste for ocean rowing and just heard about the Atlantic race because he'd done it previously and just thought, yeah, this is something that I really need to do uh, and get it on my system. So it's there. You invented a race, so I'll have a go at doing it. So that's why I wanted to do it. I'd say it'd been a bit, not so much of a dream, more just a, a challenge that I'd heard about. And once I kind of hear about a challenge and think that I should do it or I could do it or maybe I can't do it then I'll just get it into my head that I'm going to do it and then we'll just keep pressing on it was just something that I was going to do at some point I just think trying to fit it into my life and reasons to do it dictated that I ended up doing it in 2020 which probably wasn't the best year to do it because it was in the middle of COVID as it turned out but I want to know that when I sort of booked it Tell us the top three highlights of your crossing. I think it's difficult to just pick three out. I think from the Mediterranean race, uh, when we were doing the Sardinia to Menorca one, a storm came through back the other way um, after the first race had been wiped out by a storm. And we was a team of five. We rode as a three and a two. And I was a two with another guy. And the team of three had got off the oars and they were kind of like worn out we were rowing through this storm that had come in from our stern so it was, it was favourable anyway if anything else and um, me and the other guy got on the oars and we started rowing and we were like normally rowing around about three and a half to four knots um, with a pair of us 
and we were rowing at this point and we just saw the speedo going up constantly like wow you see it went to like seven knots you see, oh, that's gone up to eight knots i think the best we saw it was something like 13 8 13.8 knots and the sea state was pretty rough as well and, and and it was pitch black there was no moon that night either and we just all you could see at times was just the white water coming over the deck of the boat and we were trying to concentrate on keeping the boat um upright concentrate on keeping rowing in the right direction and also concentrating on the speedo just to see how fast we could get this boat surfing at and uh, that was pretty good um i think on the atlantic row the sunrises uh, were, were, were brilliant uh, i really enjoy a sunrise it's it's a it's a birth of a new day sun's up you know it's going to be a good day sun's shining it's it's nice the night skies were were spectacular as well um sometimes there was very little stars but then most of the time there was just uh uncountable amount of stars um i, I get what one of my friends is a good stargazer i get what he means when he, he prays for a good clear night sky and you know, and, and I got kind of interested in following the moon cycle as well. Um, kind of like guessing if, uh, where it would be when I came off the oars at like, at the end of finishing my shift, you know, and, and following it going up from a, a new moon to a full moon and then back down again. That was quite interesting. So I guess that was another one. Surfing with dolphins, uh, which sounds a bit glamorous, but we had, we had some prevailing waters um when i was in the atlantic and we got the boat surfing a few times on one of the occasions i looked across and i could just see some dolphins and they were surfing in the top of the wave as i was surfing the boat at the side of them and i don't think that's something i'll I'll probably never see again so that's always going to live with me and then i think another one was in the atlantic was i just i'd finished i'd packed my oars away for the night I was just about to climb into the cabin. I just put one foot into the cabin and then I just heard the the, the noise outside. Of, and I just instinctively knew it was a, a whale of some type. And just maybe six feet down by the side of the boat, those two whales just kept coming up and just... And it was deathly calm. Um, there was a bit of moon out there. Um, so you could see him quite well. And because it was so close, you could see him pretty good too. And just, just, I just, I just sat on deck and and just watched them go by and and kind of disappearing off into the distance. And I just, I sat there absorbing the moment really. And I guess that's another thing that's just going to sit with me uh, for the rest of my days. What was the hardest part physically, and what was the hardest part mentally? I think the hardest part physically was also the hardest part mentally. Um, there was a time on the race, probably when I was maybe oh, coming up to maybe halfway sort of thing. My water maker wasn't working at that time. Um, I think I'd gone for like three days with my water maker not working. I'd had to dig into some of the emergency rations of the water and it was getting quite concerning really that I couldn't get it going again. And I've been on the phone to the, the amazing guy um, whose name I can't remember at the moment. Yeah, and he did everything to help me get it going. He, he was just unbelievable. I think everybody in the area, the Rome world uses him, so um, everybody will be able to know his name, but I'll dig it out if anybody wants to get it. At the same time, I had a skin infection as well, which was um, 
really annoying me because it was stopping me sleeping for the little bits of sleep that I was getting while I was out there. So that was physically and mentally, it was just getting me down. Um, the boat had seemed to have slowed down a fair bit as well. And I wasn't making the mileage that I wanted to be making each day. And I guess I was just a culmination of all those three things together and probably a few of the little bits that were annoying me just built up. And ah, I guess I had a little bit of a mount meltdown. I had a screaming fit for two minutes or so and phoned a couple of mates up to see if they could offer advice. They made me feel better until one of them told me it started smoking again. Um, which like it's really it's weird it just knocks you back a bit but yeah I think that was like the worst physical and sort of mental time on it I would say most of the other time I really enjoyed being out on the water I really enjoyed doing the rowing there was tougher days uh, than than others uh, especially when it was like flat and calm but if I look back on my rowing I just think it was a superb thing to do, and I really enjoyed that. Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? I don't think I could think of three things. Walking, walking about, just going for a walk. That was um, one thing that I definitely missed, and I didn't really notice that I missed it until I got to the other side and, and I couldn't walk. But then I just, I really enjoyed going for a walk. And I still enjoy going for a walk even more so now because I appreciate that time when I didn't, when I, when, when I could walk, but I didn't have the opportunity to go walking, if that makes sense. It's just 20 foot boat and like two steps and that's it, you're done. Uh, and I probably missed, not massively, because um, I've probably made up for it when I've got back, but it was like cups of tea. I had the ability to boil water when I was there uh, in the Atlantic but they just didn't seem, it wasn't a necessity to have a cup of tea. If I was boiling water, it was to rehydrate my meals. So why would I want to put my risk, myself at risk to boil water and maybe scold myself or burn myself for really just a luxury of a cup of tea? So I just drank water all the time and I quite enjoyed drinking that water actually eventually. and. Yeah, it was pretty good. How much training did you do before the row? I think throughout 2019, I was on the row machine every day. It's not essential, but I just kind of mentally set myself that challenge of being on the row machine every day. And I just I started off in January doing 2,000. February, I did 3,000 meters a day. Then it went to four. And somebody just suggested, are you going to keep doing that every month? And I'm nah, 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 nah. It's, too much when I get to October, you know, like December and stuff like that, it'd be ridiculous. But as soon as I'd said that, then I just continued. And come December, I was doing 13,000 every day. I'd even gone on holiday. I'd found a rowing machine while I was on holiday in Australia and I'd, I'd made sure I'd gone and done my 13,000 a day. If for whatever reason I was away for a weekend, I'd have to double up the day before I went and I'd double up the days that I come back to make sure that it always averaged out how many meters um, for that month and I just made sure I got it but I don't think I was essential um, I think there's you, you could make use of that time more so because I think you can only train for the first five days of a row then once you've done them five days you've trained for the next five days 
you've trained for the next five days and it's it's more about the mental than the physical I think is the rowing to be fair. Did you suffer from any injuries, sores, nasties or sickness? I think I might got a slight bit of seasickness maybe on day two of the Atlantic race and probably day two of the um, Sardinia to Menorca race as well I did uh, a little bit but that was after that storm had been smashing us about for a few few hours. But seasickness is something that you can you can get it in a on a calm day, and you can be in a storm and not get it one bit. Um, it's just a bit of a weird thing. And I think if you just kind of ignore it and you know it's going to pass, as debilitating as it can be, if you get your head around it, it's it's going to pass and you're going to be fine. But then I got the usual sort of blisters on my heels, which you just ignore them. My hands are pretty sore and used to having calluses because of my job. Um, so they really didn't bother me. And then just the, I got a skin infection and the, the skin infection was on my scrotum, which for, for a guy is probably the worst place you could get a skin infection, I reckon. At its worst, it just really just felt like somebody was sticking red hot needles into that area. And it, it would just keep me awake. Um, it stopped me getting sleep on a night. Um, the more tired I got, the more annoying it seemed to be. I went through a course of antibiotics uh, and it, it seemed to be like the salt water in that area was causing it. And the only way to sort of kind of stop it would have been to get out of the environment. But the antibiotics seemed to clear it up for a while. It did come back towards the end of the race and I just had to sort of monitor it and do my best to keep that area clean which I'd been doing anyway but when you're out in the middle of the ocean trying to keep an area clear of salt water yeah that's a difficult task in itself really but yeah yeah it was uh that was probably just worse things everything else you could just gonna heal at some point so just kind of ignore it you decided to be there can you think of three songs which remind you of your row God, that's like asking somebody what's your favourite three songs. Um, I reckon Baby Jane, uh, Rod Stewart, or basically any kind of Rod Stewart song, but Baby Jane was definitely one. My father had passed away sort of two years prior to the row and I'd struggled massively to sort of um, come to terms with it. And I, uh, it, it always supported me on stuff that I'd done and not having him there just kind of it was the first time I'd done something major without my dad being in support really of stuff soft stuff if that makes sense um, and he was a big Rod Stewart fan and if, if Baby Jane ever came on the radio he'd be like oh yeah Rod Stewart come on yeah let would sing along to it and stuff like that so whenever it came on um, I'd always shout at the picture in my cabin hey up dad are you DJing in there again and um yeah, any any Rod Stewart song would uh, I'd be shouting that back to him in the cabin, which uh, <sighs> sounds a bit weird now um, telling other people about it. But um, for me, it was uh, it was just funny, and it just helped pass time as well. Another song would have been Barcelona with uh, Freddie Mercury and Montserrat Montserrat Caballier, I think it is, for no other reason, for no other reason than I would sing it with great gusto, totally out of tune. Totally out of sync. The, 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 the absolute inability to raise my hands when you were digging into the Barcelona sort of the uh, the song. But yeah, I just didn't care. 
it was definitely a case of uh, sing like no one's listening because well out there nobody was listening but um yeah that was that was two songs I think there might be some other bits that I'll hear now when I'm going to radio and it just might take me back to that time. But, yeah, them them two, uh, I'd say for sure, were, were yeah, I'd attribute them back to the race a little bit. Did you suffer from any post-adventure blues? Yeah, I, I suffered quite badly, massively, um, with the post-adventure blues, I think. I'm an extremely competitive person and... To be the only pure boat against 25, I think, other concept boats that were always going to go faster than me. You know, I, I noticed when we got, when I got tailwinds, it just seemed to have very, very little effect on my boat. But then I'd seen YouTube videos of the concept boats getting tailwinds and then just cruising along at like four knots. I never once wished I had a concept boat. But the thing of sort of taking 73 days to do a crossing that other people had done quicker, the competitive nature in my head just struggled to come to terms with that, I think. And then I was probably from that quite critical of myself. Um, could I have done more when I was on Sea Anchor? Could I have tried harder? I don't think I could have done because the, the headwinds in my boat are just pointless. But... Uh, it just, as a result of that, I just kind of avoided people when I got back to the UK. I, I avoided talking to people about the rowing uh, and about the race. They'd get little snippets out of me, but I wouldn't really go into in depth. I think one of my one of my friends set up a um, a big Zoom meeting uh, for anybody to join, and it lasted an hour. And it was just he was asking me questions about you know, the rowing and, and, and stuff like that. And people um, people were there just like listening. It, it kind of got it all out of the way in one go. And it did it remotely, which meant I didn't have to stand in front of individuals and, and talk to them about it, which I don't really think I'm, I'm over it now, but I think the best way to get over it will be just to go and do another row. If not, I'll just have to deal with it again, won't I? But there we go. We'll have to do it. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? Chat to other rowers that have done it previously. Find out what problems. I never ask people what you know what 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 were the best bits. I, I always ask them you know what were the problems that they encountered. How did they deal with it? Think of a scenario that you might have on your boat, and then think of the solution. Because I think if you do that and think of as many problems that you could have and as many solutions. When that problem happens on your boat, if it does happen, then you've got the solution already worked out or you've got a solution worked out and that'll make it so much easier. And I think it could sort of like help you prepare because you, you'd be sort of like forewarned, it's forearmed, um, stuff like that. If you've got auto helm, I would definitely, definitely practice um, steering the boat in different directions without your auto helm on. Because I've heard of some people just like, you know, coming to the turn, you know, my auto helm's broke. I'm never going to make this crossing. You know, the boat I did it on doesn't have auto helm. It's never had auto helm. I've crossed in it. Two of the three other people have crossed in that boat without auto helm. So you don't really need auto helm. So if it breaks and you know how to steer a boat without auto helm, I guess 
you, you know, you, you, you're there, you're away. So, and I think the other thing is just get to be comfortable with being un- uncomfortable. Out there, it's a damp, wet environment. Everything breaks. My, you know, your phone will break. Your charging leads will break. And it's all just because of the environment that you're in. It's the, the, the salt water just kind of ruins everything. And if you can just get comfortable with being uncomfortable for a lot of the time, then it's not going to be an annoyance for you. Um, and you're going to probably get a lot more out of your row uh, and you're going to enjoy it more. Um, that's for sure. And finally, would you do it again? Most definitely. Um, would I do it as a race? Um, probably not. Would I do it? Yeah. I'd do it again, definitely. I'm, I'm planning to do it again. My plan would be to do the North Atlantic next, and it would be like East Coast of America back to UK, partly because I'm from Yorkshire. Shipping costs are quite high at the moment for moving a boat around the world. So if you do it that way, you've only got to ship it to the States, and then you just row it back. So you've only got one shipping cost. So to me, it makes sense to do that that race really um just if nothing else just to um make it a little bit cheaper for yourself but yeah i would definitely definitely do um uh, another row um if somebody wanted somebody to help them to do a row to get across i'd I'd probably look at doing like that but i think if i was to do it off my own back i'd I'd go solo each every time um just for that fact of you don't have to have somebody else to rely on you. So, yeah, I'd probably do that. So, yeah, thanks a lot. Bye. A huge thank you to Craig for sharing his story and all of his advice. The shout out there was to Jim McDonald, the watermaker guy, who lots of ocean rowers will already know, as he is a key face in the ocean rowing world. So that's it for this year. My plan was to complete a year of interviews and I think 50 is a nice round number to end the year on. And it will also give me a chance to have a bit of a break before it all starts again next year. My plan back in December 2021 was to have the whole year of interviews scheduled and ready to go by the end of January so I could just let it run. But I have been working on this all year. It's been so much more work than I ever anticipated, but I am hugely proud of this great resource we have created. And thank you to all the friends who have helped me out and all of the strangers who took a chance and trusted me with their stories. And finally, to the future rowers who have given me really positive feedback. Thank you so much. I hope it's helped and good luck to everyone with all of your future adventures. If you are an ocean rower, and you would like to share your story, please get in touch. Please, please do get in touch. I'm running out of guests, and I would love to continue this podcast through to 2023. So if you have rowed an ocean, and you are wondering whether I would like you as a guest, the answer is 100% yes. So please either drop me an email to theoceanrowingclub at gmail.com, or send me a DM on Instagram at theoceanrowingclub. I would love to have you as a guest. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tap those five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and like, share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us again. It won't be next week, but it'll be next year. Toodle pip!